We continue in John's Gospel today, so if you have your Bibles and want to turn, we're back in John chapter 8. We'll finish the chapter today. We're going to go back to verse 31, which is just a key verse for our lives, I feel like, and we'll go on from there. I want to start today with, with uh, if you know my family at all, then you may know we have a dog. It's a beautiful dog that mostly stays inside. But every day we take take her out, once or twice a day, we take her on the trails or do something. But she's used to being on the leash and inside, so I take her out, did this yesterday, took her up to the trail, and then I, I, I took her off the leash. Don't tell anyone. But what I'm interesting to share with you is that she just kind of looked at me because she was used to being on the leash, you know, used to being chained up. And I have to go, go, kid, go. And then finally she gets her zoomies. I call them zoomies. She, like, takes off through the bushes, and she runs around, and she's, like, so excited to be off and running. But it's almost like you have to push a little bit because she doesn't realize she's free. I want to share that with you because my heart for you as a Christian is that you would be free. Yeah, I want you to have zoomies. I want you to feel like, hey, this is so amazing what Jesus has done for us. I feel like in my own life I I, I have struggled a bit with that because of the idea of discipleship. What do I mean? I'm calling this, and we're going to look at true discipleship this morning. It's because when I got saved, and I did so many years ago, I remember, boy, I had the weight of sin on me, and I knew I was going to hell, and I got so excited that Jesus died for me. I prayed, and I asked him into my heart, and I I made him my Lord and Savior. So I just, ah, that freedom. But then, you know, life didn't stop. I entered into a life of discipleship. Which is true, right? I became a disciple of Jesus, a follower of Jesus, but I was, I was pulled into starting to read all these books. And you know there's thousands of them. Let me give you a few. It's The Cost of Discipleship. The Complete Book of Discipleship. Have you read that one? Essential Discipleship. Deep Discipleship. Real Life Discipleship. Even titles that don't have disciple, they're like they're The Pursuit of God. You pursuing God. That's discipleship. The pursuit of holiness. The celebration of disciplines. That's a life of discipleship. Gospel-centered discipleship. Now, these books, maybe you've heard of some of them. I'm just giving a smattering. There's literally hundreds and hundreds, right? I started down this idea, and I took it in. Many of these books don't have this idea in them. There's excellent ideas in many of what I just said, those books. Read them. But I took this idea... That I wasn't free. You know, I started with the prayer, but now I have to get to transformation. I got to get to working on stuff. I got to get going. And instead of realizing, instead of having the zoomies, I started getting serious. Now, a little serious is not a bad thing. But when it starts to rob you of the truth... Because discipleship is a great word. And disciple is what we are. But you got to get it right. And if you get it right, I want to take the word back and make it mean what it's supposed to mean today for you from the Bible. Because I feel like we are all disciples of Jesus. And it's fantastic that you're free. So I'm going to share that with you, and we're going to share that with you from John's Gospel here in chapter 8, and it's true discipleship, and I picked this fun picture, and yes, I know it kind of makes Jesus into a goose, but that's just the metaphor, and then the little ducklings behind him. I love that picture, right? Us as little ducklings. 
following Jesus. And so what I want to ask is, and want you to see initially, is just from this clear statement of Jesus, what's a disciple? Because you are one, right? What's a disciple? Okay, so here we go. Um, I just, before we start even, it's, it's uh, when I say disciple, what do you think? When I say disciple, I think, I don't know about you, the 12 disciples. I can name Peter and James and John and Matthew. There's, I don't know, there's 12 of them. We kind of think that way, right? We don't know them all, but we know there were 12 of them there with Jesus. But actually, the Bible's bigger than that, right? In Luke 10, it talks about 70 disciples. And one of uh, Hippolytus, one of John's, a uh, couple generations removed, disciples wrote a list of who he thought the 70 were. It's kind of interesting. When Jesus rose from the dead, you know, he went to the upper room, and there were 500 disciples. So a disciple isn't just the little group of apostles. It's, it's, it's a follower, right? Some kind. And, and the word itself in Greek and the word that's used means a pupil, like a student. More commonly, it's one who is rather constantly associated with someone who has a particular set of views. Boy, that sounds dry. But it's not, right? It just means you're associated with someone who has a particular viewpoint, and you're associated with them. That's a disciple. End. So if Jesus has a particular viewpoint, and you're associated with Jesus, you're a disciple. You're an adherent. That's another synonym, right? Sorry, kid. I don't know if you're a disciple yet. So if you're holding on to or related to someone who has a particular set of views. So the question that you have is, I'm a disciple of Jesus. What, what am I a disciple of? Right? What, what makes me a disciple? And, and this is where we go sideways. Because we start making up what it means. Well, and this sounds good. It's becoming more and more like Jesus. What is that exactly? We talked about this last week. Does it mean you give up your house because Jesus was homeless? Well, we define what it is. It's based on sort of anything that sounds good or we can find. But Jesus himself has a definition. Well, I want to hear that. He's Jesus. He's, he's my Savior. Look what he says. John chapter 8, verse 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him. He's not talking to the Pharisees now. He's talking to people who have confessed him. He said, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Well, here's what adherence is, right? Here's what discipleship is. Abide in my word. And the emphasis has to be, if you're, if you're a thinker at all, the emphasis has to be on Jesus' word, right? The things he says, which this presentation in John of what it is that he's been talking about. Because he's talking to a group of people who already know all the law. They've had the law before Jesus. So it's not talking about that. It's talking about Jesus. What has he said so far? Well, he's the bread of life. He's the giver of living water. He's the light of life. He's going to go on in John, right? He's the resurrection and the life. He's the way, the truth, and the life. He's the door of the sheep. Everything is about Jesus doing it all. The only judgment that matters is his. The only performance that matters is his. It's not about your performance or morality. He's rescuing any who will turn to him and simply trust that he will save because you can't save yourself. This is the message of the gospel, the good news. 
gospel, this truth. Kind of, we looked at it last week, right? We looked at it the week before. Two weeks ago, on the sin side, we looked at Jesus not condemning, but forgiving. Last week, we looked at our good works and how even our good works often condemn us. They're not good enough. Drive us right back to the need for forgiveness. The hope that he saves and he uses us is everything. He's enough. So this is the truth that sets you free. So the whole idea is abide in this word. Soak in it. Stay in it. Don't move from it. Adhere to it. Study it. That salvation is in Christ. That forgiveness is received. That his blood is enough. For you. For me. Anyone who will receive it. This is adherence. This is being a disciple. This is what a disciple is. And the fight, right, is always to hold on to it. Even for those who say, I believe in Jesus, like these people Jesus is talking to, they believe in him on some level, they do, and yet they don't yet get this. We're always fighting back against this task. Against this idea of discipleship, I feel like even even we take the words of Jesus because because we we filter and we think, well, no, that's that's too easy. That's that's just like trusting Jesus. That's kind of amorphous. I, I need more about what I'm supposed to do to to improve and to advance and to do things. So we we start to take the words of Jesus and say, oh, no, this. So let me give you one. Maybe you've heard of this one. This is Mark eight. Not John 8, but it says, and calling the crowd to him. We read this earlier. Calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the Gospels, I have the Gospels even in there, will save it. Well, that sounds like something to do. This is often used as a verse for discipleship. If you want to be a disciple, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. And off we go into ways you need to practice self-discipline, self-improvement, and follow Jesus. Find ways to be like him. You know, pick up his cross like Jesus picked. Now, Jesus, I guess, didn't really carry his cross because he was beaten and scourged. But look at that. Say, well, self-denial, that's where it's at. And, and, and so the disciplines come in, and, and, and then you pursue like being more and more like this. And, and you say, that's what Jesus is. That's what abiding is. Except I've done something to you right here that you should be mad at. What is it? I've ripped it out of context, right? We read the context earlier. What was the context? I hope you remember that, that Jesus plainly spoke and said that he was going to what? Go to the cross and die. Be buried and be raised from the dead. Die for our sins. And what does Peter do? Peter says, no, you're not. You're not doing that. I'm not letting you do that. I'm going to protect you. I'm going to be good for you, Jesus. And Jesus turns and says to him, be quiet, Satan. And then he turns and he turns to his crowd and the disciples and he says this. Wait, you guys realize, get out of the game. The denial you're going to have to do is you have any part in your salvation. The, the, the denying piece and the pick up your cross piece is, is looking here at the middle of a paragraph. And in fact, this paragraph, the, the sentence or two I just gave you, is followed by the transfiguration where Jesus is shown to be God. He 
See, the whole thing is about self-inability. You have to trust Jesus and not you, not your ability to improve, not your ability to get her done, not your ability in any way to deny yourselves, deny self-salvation and trust the word that frees you, by the way, because the truth will set you free, Jesus says. This is amazing. Let me give you an example. I'll give you an example from this morning. So this morning, sorry, kid. People don't like this example. Okay. So there I was coming to church. I come really early because I'm extra holy. And I come down and I get, I'm driving down the hill and I turn and I'm driving and, and this car cuts. I mean, I'm the only car on the road, right? They could wait till I go by, but they don't. They, they cut out right in front of me. And they start driving, and they're going like four miles an hour under the already too low speed limit. I got to get here. It's so important that I get here. Nobody's here yet. And I start fuming. You know how you start fuming? You kind of start going, you know, I well, didn't turn on my brights. I didn't do that. But I got up kind of close to them. Maybe they'll go faster. So they came up to the, to the stop sign and said, one believe they turned left. They didn't. They turned right, and I was turning right. The next one, they turned left, and I was turning left. I'm sure by now they're thinking this guy's tracking me down. But inside, I was going, argh, argh, come on. Can't you just drive? It's early in the morning. No one else is even on the road. You're not going to get a ticket. Okay. So there I was doing that. You know how long I've been a Christian? I've been a Christian for over 40 years. By now, shouldn't I have control of that? That's a very simple thing, you know. It's not hard to see. Back off. Say, praise God, I have a car to drive in. I'm coming to church. Praise God, I have a place to worship. I should know better. And so I think, well, I better get into discipleship. My discipleship needs work. What? And because in discipleship, I think that being a disciple is, is sinning less. Instead, instead, what's going on here, and even this, this, this piece of picking up my cross is what? Man, you guys, I can share this with you freely. Why? Because I didn't save myself. I stand this morning forgiven. I'm forgiven by Christ. You can speak forgiveness. You know what, Dax? That is a sin. You know what? It's, it's, it's not that the law is beautiful. It's not that the guy who was driving the car was wrong it, or was the woman. I don't know. I didn't get to see him. I, I purpose not to look. You know how it is when they drive up and try not to look. Why? Because they're right and I'm wrong. It is absolutely acceptable to drive a couple miles an hour under the speed limit. It's very safe. They were perfect. They were absolutely, there's nothing wrong with what they were doing. The problem is all me. And there I go again. And you know what I hear? What I need to hear? And what's true is that I'm forgiven. And I even need to grow in that. I need to be transformed in the idea that I'm forgiven. I, I, I need the renewal of my mind to come back to the cross. I need to carry my cross, which is what? That Jesus saves me, not me, myself. And I so wish I'd never struggle with that. That's such a stupid thing to struggle with. It's somewhat socially acceptable. So let me trust, share with you four more things that are not. Let's not. It's Sunday morning. And no, but we have them, right? We all do. And so the reality becomes, and, and what Jesus is talking about in terms of picking up your cross, is this idea that, you know what? It's not about your self-improvement. It's about accepting that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who deserves only accolades and is perfect in every way, goes and is scourged and dies for you. Receive it. And it was enough. 
And if you stay there in his word, because he says he's going to do it, then, and that's called abiding, then you are truly a disciple. And guess what? You know the truth, and the truth will set you free. What's the freedom? I'm standing here, sharing it with you. I can do a zoomy dance. I won't. That's really gross for Swanson. I'm not good at it. My kid could. But, but, but that's amazing, right? So, so this is a true disciple. In fact, this is what the Bible presents that way. E- even when you go to the New Testament and Paul's talking about it, too, let me put one up, one more, uh, is Philippians 3, 9, right? Is that Paul says, I want to be found in Christ, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. It's really important. But that which comes through trusting Jesus, through faith in Christ, The righteousness from God, a gift that depends on trust, on faith. That's what Paul's saying, right? This is an amazing, amazing thing that I can't quite get my arms around a lot of times. And and so I come back, and this is what discipleship is, is to come back to this, and to come back over and over, and we come back together, and we remind ourselves, and we give absolution and forgiveness, and we talk about the reality of the gospel. High law? Well, yeah, you are a sinner, and it's beautiful. You shouldn't sin. But not, oh, now let's work on not sinning some more. I'm such trouble if that's the case. And all you know is my little speeding story. There's more. I'm forgiven. Oh, I'm forgiven. And the truth has set me free. So, so that's the thing. And here's the deal is that we hear that and we hear it's a simple statement. The gospel's not difficult to grasp. And we start to think, wait, wait, yes, that's true, Dax, but. And the whole rest of the chapter is one big but. I don't mean you're behind. I mean, I object. So we need to look at that. They've got objections to this kind of idea from Jesus. They're like, I'm not a little duckling. I want to be an eagle. Forget that an eagle is actually a carrion bird. It's majestic. I want to be strong. So, so let's, let's look. Verse 33. So they answered Jesus, we are offspring of Abraham. We've never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you'll become free? It's like we don't need to be made free. We already are. God did it back in the Exodus. You know, we just need a little help here. We're, we're, we're theologically free. I think I've, they've got to be thinking that, right? They've got to be thinking, probably rightly, that's like, why do we need, we're theologically free because we are Sons of Abraham, God chose our whole nation. They can't be thinking of just the fist, because these guys, if you think about it, come on. Not just were they sons of Abraham when they were enslaved in Egypt, but then they went to the promised land and got enslaved by the Philistines eventually. And then there was who? Assyria came and took them away in slavery. And then there was Babylon that took them away in slavery. And then there was Greece that took them away in slavery. And then there was Rome, who they're currently under. They're not dumb. And well, oh, no, yeah, we can be under this oppressive government, but we are free because God is our God. We have the Ten Commandments given to us by the hand of Moses. We have the promises of God through Abraham. The world enslaves us. We have special relationship because we have the Bible, the law. And we keep the word already. We're Abraham's kids. And, and this is actually wrong. Because Jesus says, Truly, truly, he answered them, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. 
Slave doesn't remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. This is critical, you guys. Huge. Every single person, the reason why you're enslaved is because you sin. If you sin, you're enslaved. Your only hope is that the Son is going to set you free. And here's what disciple, being a disciple is, is that you receive that word. The law has condemned you, and there's hope in the gospel. And then he says, I know you're offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I've seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. You can hold on to the Ten Commandments. You can hold on to Abraham. But what you need is the receiving of Jesus. And do you hear his word? Jesus hears from his father and the world, all of us. We hear from another father. Who's that? Well, they answered him, right? They said, well, Abraham is our father. We hear from him. And Jesus said back to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. By the way, those are what works are those? What works did Abraham do? He believed in God. And God is standing in front of them. And, and he, he did lots of sin, you know, Abraham did. He tried to give his wife away to Pharaoh. God said, hey, I'm going to give you a kid with, 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 with your wife. And then he couldn't wait. He was impatient and he had kids with other people. He wasn't a paragon of virtue. He trusted God, though, even poorly. He says, but now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works your father did. So you, you get it, right? It's not just the story of Abraham. It's not just the genes of Abraham. It's the works of Abraham. What's the work? Trusting and that's the fight, right? It's always the fight. I'm good myself, I think. I'm following the law. I'm doing what's right. I'm Abraham's descendant. I fight immorality. I'm good. I'm on the right side. And that's, that's, that's not the way. Because they say to him, we are not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. So Jesus says back to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and I'm here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? Is it because it's because you cannot bear to hear my word? This becomes the issue, right? By the way, he's speaking to people who have believed him. What have they believed? They believed in a Messiah has come, that Jesus has come. But you know what? Jesus hasn't been to the cross they don't fully get it. They don't hear the word. What's the word? I'm going to do it all for you. No, I don't need that. I'm already Abraham's kid. I already have a direct relationship with God. No, you don't. This is heavy. Can't you just receive me? No. And if you don't, it's just brutal. I mean, look what he says. You are of your father, the devil. And your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. 
The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. Whoa. Again, you've got to know, you guys. You've got to hear. It's not like we just generically take any word. This is the word of Jesus. Let's say, let's uh, 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 Psalm 30, verse 3. Jesus is talking very specifically, right? Because they have the Ten Commandments. They have the Abraham's law. The law of Moses. Their argument is they already have them. This is talking about hearing the words of God. What are they? What are the words of God that Jesus... And you can almost hear John saying, wait, wait, wait. This is my beloved son in whom I will please. I'm the bread of life. I'm the door of the sheep. Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's the thing, right? Trust him. And they're incensed because he's not affirming them or helping them, but he's cutting them down. Of course he would. They would just bend their knee. They would just say, you know what? Yes, we are of the fa- our father, the devil. We don't see well. We sin all the time. Oh, how we need a savior. That's it. Not, oh, how I need to improve and Jesus is going to help me improve. It's, it's I'm lost totally. The Jews reject this. How do I know? Well, look what they say. The Jews answered him. Are we not right in saying you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Boy, the two worst things you can be. A Samaritan. Why is that really bad? Because you don't accept the law. The highest thing you can accept. The Ten Commandments and how you worship and where you worship. No, and a demon. So Jesus answered, I do not have a demon. But I honor my father and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will not never see death. Wow. I mean, even in the midst of just being really verbally spit on, right? You have a demon he, st- he still gets it. If you, just, if you just keep my word, what's the word? Trust me. You won't see death. Don't trust in your works. Don't find righteousness in yourself. Trust that he is your righteousness, that everything about this is his gift for you, and death will not hold you. It's amazing. And they just reject it. The Jews said to him, now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, as did the prophets. And you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died? Pro tip. Yes, he is. And the prophets died? Yep. Who do you make yourself out to be? This becomes the issue. Jesus answered, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. But you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I know him and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and he was glad. You see, this is what Abraham was about. 
Like, so, so, so there's a big difference, right, between what, what an Israelite would see in the Old Testament and what we see. Because we go in and we start to say, oh, this is what Abraham longed for. He looked and he saw the coming of Jesus. You know, Abraham had covenant and says, oh, you're going to have a seed and the seed will bless the nations. He's talking about Jesus. Abraham looked forward and even pictured taking Isaac up to sacrifice him a three-day journey to sacrifice his only son and this amazing picture of who? Of Jesus. And we look back and over and over see God's plan always. It wasn't to try and get at people who would be beautiful in themselves. It was to shadow, foreshadow and look forward to and point to and long for the coming Savior. That's our Savior. His name's Jesus. The Old Testament shouts out the need and the promise and the coming of Jesus Christ. So the Jews said to him, You are not yet 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? And Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. You get why, right? Why why they picked up stones? Because Jesus says, before Abraham was, before Abraham even existed, I am. What's I am? If you haven't been around Christianity much, you've you got to know in the Old Testament, right? This is Yahweh. This is the actual name of God in the Old Testament. I am. And Jesus says, I am. He's God. That's what he's saying, right? He's not a good man to follow. He's not a good teacher to learn from. He's not a good example to imitate. He's not a righteous one to emulate. Jesus is God. Just let that sink into your soul. God came to earth. You will not be God. He came to save you. So all objections stop. Will you object to God? God says if you simply remain in his word of redemption, if you simply trust his word of forgiveness, if you abide in his word which is true, then you are his disciple and you know the truth and the truth will set you free. Now, if you study that, that's fine. But too often we say, yeah, 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 yeah. But I've got to study more for me. I, I, I've got to read more for me. I've got to take the next step. I've got to delve in it. I've got to grow in some kind of moral behavior. I've, I've, I've got to keep the Ten Commandments. I've, I've got to... No, 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 stop. Those are good things. But the way that you're thinking about them is so wrong. They're there to drive you back to this gift. What's the gift? Trust in Jesus. It sets you free. Perhaps like them, this seems too easy to you. Too simple. Too vague. Perhaps you have your own objections. Something like, I don't need to be freed. You know, I just need a little help. I, I believe in Jesus. I just need a little help with my life. No, 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 wait, wait, isn't that what Jesus said? If, you're, if you sin at all, you're a slave to sin. The only way you're going to get out of that is that you need the son to be a son. We all have our own 
our, our own standing and connection to, to God directly. Why do we need, we don't need to continue just to stay on this truth. We move on from it. No, no, wait. Our, our, our connection to Abraham even is that we trust God and the God we trust is Jesus. And I'm so tempted to say, you know what? I'm the right and the, the free and the good one and not those guys over there. No, no, wait. The whole message is a high law and a, and, and a gospel. So the, the law continues to point at me. It says, no, you're, you're in your flesh the son of your father, which, which is the devil. I don't see rightly. Even the things I think I see rightly are not things I see clearly. There's so many lies woven into my truths. I'm so unable to actually see exactly what the things are that are so important to God. Instead, what I'm supposed to do is trust Jesus. Why? Because he's going to create in me and do with me as he wants. And guess what? He's perfect. So you go out the door today and you say, well, should we go to Dairy Queen or should we go to McDonald's? These are the big questions in life. My wife would say, don't go to either one. I would say both. And, and then, so what you have is, right, is that you don't know, if you're going to put it theologically, in which one God's going to use you more. But as you follow your desires, I know this, God will use you. I don't care where you go. I don't care if it's your workplace or at home. I don't care if it's across the street or right here in this room. I don't care where, because I trust that if you trust Jesus, he will use you because he's got you. Because the whole thing that sets you free, that sets your feet to dancing, is the reality that you know this and you're free. Free to what? Trust Jesus that he's got you. Fruit and everything is going to happen. It's going to happen perfectly because he, maybe you've been confused by the way discipleship has been twisted and torn from simple trust in this straightforward message of sin forgiven by the blood of Jesus, and it works. Maybe you've been sort of swayed by the shifting topics of discipleship books and growth manuals and Christian living treaties that are trying to sell a product, honestly. Co-opt this language. Come back. Come back to the truth because it sets you free. And here's the truth. Being a disciple is trusting the word that Jesus speaks. Abiding in it. He speaks law to condemn you and gospel to save. He presents himself as the only righteousness, the only holiness, the only life you will ever have. He does it all. And if you are my disciple, let me just say, this is, this is, again, I just don't see rightly, so I start to pull in. And this is how I would go wrong, too, because I come in and say, okay, well, come be a, my disciple. Follow me. Follow Dax. And then I'll use everything I can in wisdom to help you live a skillful life on earth. I went to Princeton. I was a doctor. I can give you lots of wise things and things to do. I can, I can help you navigate this world out there. And, and, and that's a lot of times what people want. They want a mentor, not to push him back to Jesus, but to help him live skillfully in life and succeed. That's not what we're talking about. There's no life there. Real discipleship, and boy, my heart would say it's to push you back, and I'm doing it now by speaking to you the truth, is to push you back to say, trust Jesus. He's got you. He does. We can talk about things and wisdom for the world. We can talk about how, boy, keep the law the best you can because it will go as well for you in the world as it's able We can do those things. But if you're a real disciple, you're not growing to be like Jesus. You trust that he will save you. 
So discipleship is not increasing acts of love and decreasing acts of sin. Discipleship is receiving forgiveness and trusting he's using you in spite of you. Is growing in the grace and knowledge. Growing, right? Growing in the grace and knowledge. Not of your behavior, but of Jesus. Reading this incredible word as a revelation of who your Savior is. So read it, read it, read it. To see Jesus. Jesus is amazing. He's our everything, and it makes a totally different message. I want to I end with this. Because when I really say discipleship and making disciples, everybody goes right here. So we'll end with this. Matthew 28, the Great Commission. I just want you to read it with this new, maybe new, maybe not, understanding what discipleship is, trusting Jesus. A disciple trusts the word, the gospel's true. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. There it is. Baptizing them in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. With that, Jesus is peace out. That's the end of Matthew. You do get that this is a hug. You do get that this is a, this is so amazing. I'm with you always. Tell everybody that the truth here has set you free. How does it set you free? You trust him. He's got you. I'll never let you go. I'm with you forever. God bless you as you go. Tell everybody. Okay, well, baptizing them. That's right. As they turn from their own self-salvation and associate with me, that's what you want people to do. I want people to confess and obeying. Dad, there's, there's obedience. Dad, there's obedience in there. Observe all I've commanded you. Yeah, what has he commanded? Trust me. I'm your everything. You are being discipled by Jesus right now. You receive. And he does what he wants. The truth that's so hard to believe. We always want to make the gospel about us, not about Jesus. How strong our faith is, how passionate our obedience is, how good our works are. And it's all bondage because the message is that Jesus is our life and his faithfulness, his perfect obedience is complete. His works are amazing and all ours that we'll ever have are in him. Who will receive him. It's awesome. So come back with me and let's finish. Come back with me to my dog and realize Jesus is way more than a human being to a dog. He's way higher God to you. And he comes and he says, here, kid, I'm setting you free. Go. Zoom. You can. If God sets you free, you're free indeed. And if you're his, go live your life knowing he's got you. Go tell people he's got you. Go tell them. The only hope I have is that Jesus Christ died for me. I'm a sinner. Let me show you some of my sins. It's okay. Why can I do that? Because I'm forgiven. You are too if you trust Jesus. Let's pray.